Have a seat, guys. Uh, so if you have your Bible, open to Colossians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to go through the rest of the chapter uh, this morning, but we're backtracking by a few verses, kind of double dipping a few verses we did last week. Um, before we get there, though, I want to direct your attention. I've done this before in our series on Colossians, but I want to direct your attention again to our image up here. Um, Kyle did a, uh, did a good job on this one. Uh, centered on Jesus, and it's the kind of the Google map theme, and that everything about, in particular the book of Colossians, but more than everything about our lives is about centering around Christ. Um, Jeff said it this morning when we started, and, uh, and, and I said it last week several times, Jesus is really important. And this idea to be centered on Jesus, or that Jesus is, is central to who we are, and that everything, all the roads, all of everything, point us back to Christ. And this morning we're going to talk about rules and regulations and all those things. And, and uh, Paul is, is fighting a false teaching that was present in the area of Colossae. But what he's trying to get the people in Colossae to believe, and what we're trying to get ourselves to believe this morning, is that Jesus is central and everything else is secondary. But I think a lot of the times for us, we wind up opposite of that, in that we wind up focused on who we are and what we do and the things that we do or things that we don't do or how we differentiate ourselves, how we, we, we remove ourselves from certain situations or, or we really struggle with a particular sin and we wind up focused on something other than Christ. And that's why I want to draw our attention back to, back to this thing because first, Jesus is really important. And second, we need to center around Christ not centering around our distinctives, not centering around our sin or worried about defeating our sin. Those are things to do, valuable things to do, yes. But Christ is the answer to that. What makes us distinct is Christ. The answer to our sin and our wrestling with sin is Christ. And that's important for us as we begin this morning to center around Christ. So let's... uh, Let's read our passage this morning uh, out of Colossians chapter 2. I'm starting in verse 13. We ended last week in verse 15, but we're going to start this week in in verse 13 because it kind of, verse 16 starts with the word therefore, and it's important for us to, to go back and understand what therefore is talking about. So, Colossians 2 verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, because of who Christ is and what he's done, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things that are to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism 
and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teaching, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and aestheticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you've persevered it and revealed it to our lives, to our hearts, so that we might understand your character, that we might understand Christ and who he is and what he did. And we might be in relationship with you because of that death and because of that resurrection and because you have revealed it to our hearts. Guide us now as we study your word, as we seek to understand who you are and what you've done. In Christ's perfect name, amen. I want to read those 13 through 15 again and and paint this picture of who you are. Because everything that follows from 16 and beyond is contingent and dependent upon us understanding verses 13 through 15. And you... All of us who were dead in your trespasses, another way to say sin, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that is, Christ came and cut our flesh away, his death. That was, he circumcised our flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. And here's the verse I want to land on, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This word here, this word picture, canceling the record of our debt, is in this age, if you had a debt, it was a piece of paper that you literally carried with you. If you owed someone something, you carried a piece of paper that said, I owe this to someone. And it was a record that you kept. And if you died, it went on to whoever redeemed you. You might remember from Old Testament study that when someone passed away, you, their, their next of kin... Their, their brother sometimes or, or child sometimes would inherit all of the wealth and all of the debt. This piece of paper carried along, all right? So you're carrying around, and if for some reason you died, that same piece of paper was now to be carried around by whoever was, was your redeemer, the next person in line for you. So this is the record of debt that we all carried around. And for us, a lot of us, a lot of you carry around a debt. Maybe it's credit card debt. Maybe it's a house. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's school loans, something. But we carry it around. And and, and for me, when that happens, like when I know a bill is coming due very soon and somebody's going to be like, all right, you owe me $1,200 for car insurance. Let's, let's pay. That, that like brings stress, right? You, you with me? And like whenever you're thinking about anything, that is somehow like whispering in your ear. It, it, I, I was able to, to graduate without any student loan debt, but I know there are a lot of you who didn't, and there's a lot of you who currently have student loan debt, right? How often do you think about that student loan debt? Not rhetorical. How often do you think about it? Every day. Thanks, Joe. 
every day. It's speaking to you every day because it's a weight, it's a pressure, it's a stress. It's a debt that someday is going to have to be paid. And that's what we sometimes carry around from the perspective of our flesh, of our sin. We carry this debt around. We're reminded of our sin all the time, and it presses in on us all the time. But what happened to that debt, that debt of sin? It's been put away. It's been canceled. This he set aside, verse 14 says, nailing it to the cross. Imagine what would happen. Joe spoke up. He thinks about his student loan debt every day. Imagine what would happen, the freedom that you would sense and feel if someday, if somebody walked in and said, um, I'm from Fannie Mae and you're the ones that we owe you, we owe us whatever, we're going we're gonna to cancel that debt. You don't have to pay another dime back. The freedom that would bring to that in the moment, but then also the freedom that would come with that, like tomorrow you wouldn't think about it. The next day, you wouldn't, like, it would cease to be an issue in your mind. And, and take that understanding and put it towards sin. And I think the point that Paul's getting to, and, and we'll get to it in a second, is stop being so consumed with your sin. I wrestle, there's, there's two guys in particular that we... I, I pray for consistently. We do accountability together. And, and I'm getting texts from them all the time. I just can't fight. I can't break free. I can't. And we're consumed with it. And Paul's message to the Colossians, and my message to you, is worry more about Christ than you do about your sin. Because the only answer to the defeat of your sin is Jesus. The last words we're going to hear this morning out of Colossians is, What you do or what you don't do have no bearing on your ability to defeat sin. You can't. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That's Colossians 2.23. Jesus has canceled your debt. He has nailed it to the cross. And in so doing, reading from verse 15... He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. This is what, if, if I were God, this is what would happen. I would create this thing that allowed, like, like maybe it's an aerosol can spread that we could spray and we could see what's happening spiritually. Right now, we probably see a bunch of angels and demons in, in warfare happening. I'm not goofing. That, that happens all the time. If we were more in touch and in tune with the spiritual world and what's going on in our lives and in our world, we would be a whole lot more likely to pray and a whole lot more likely to study our, our, our Bibles. Here, what this is talking about, when Christ died on the cross and then he resurrected, if we had had that aerosol can of spiritual visual spray that I've made up, what we would see is... is Christ spiritually, literally shaming your enemy. And like they're ashamed and destroyed and like shoulders slumped and they just don't know what to do because Christ has openly put them to shame. If many times I've thought, man, if I could just have been 
there when the stone rolled away and when Christ walked, walked out. To see that. That would be great. But how much greater would it be to watch the enemies, the demons that were present, just cower and be shamed? This is what's happening. And this is your Jesus. And all of this is about Christ. Everything that, we're, that Paul is teaching these people in Colossae is about Christ. And Christ is done. It's finished. It's settled. It's history. We don't need to worry about it anymore. All of this brings me to this conclusion, this one simple statement. Your identity is found in Jesus and nothing else. Your success, your failure... Your behavior, your children, your charity work, your self-denial, your sin, your dishonesty, your bank account. None of this is who you are. The only thing that you are, the only thing that Paul is trying to get you to believe is in Christ. We need to know that. Because the enemy will try and get us to convince that who I am, my worth, my significance, my value, my hope, my whatever, is found in something that's not Jesus. Remember, there was a false teaching that was present. We'll get specifically to that, verse 18, in just a little bit. But there's a false teaching that's going around that's trying to convince people that it's Jesus plus this will get you relationship with God. But ultimately, there's nothing aside from Jesus. And this is like nothing earth-shattering. If I were you sitting listening to this, I'd be like, Rick, you've told us this like 17,000 times. And that's probably true, but 17,001. It's really important. Because the enemy is real and he tells us lies. And we believe them. That if only I could, life would be better. Life would be different. And it's interesting what overwhelmed me in my prayer closet this morning and what we did in our call to worship this morning about what brings us stress and what brings us difficulty, what brings us hardship. You know what the answer to, to that is? For those of you who raised your hand, for those of you who should have raised your hand, for those five people that were in my brain this morning, the answer is Jesus. The answer is not Whatever your problem is to go away, the answer is Jesus. Period. Because Jesus has completed the task, it's finished, he has destroyed your debt. You were once walking around with this huge massive weight that no longer presses in on you. You'll believe lies about who you are and how God views you, but they are lies. Jesus has set that aside and nailed it to the cross. In this day, a debt was that paper that you carried around, but ultimately now it's gone. Nailed to the cross, you don't have it anymore. Verse 16. Because of that, because of your identity, let no one pass judgment on you. In questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Your identity is not found in what you do or what you do not do. 
Very simple. Your identity is not found in what you do or what you don't do. Let's look at these verses again. Verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These things that Paul lists there, food, drink, festivals, new moons, or Sabbath, were probably, we don't have historical record, this is really all we have about what was happening in Colossae. Probably what was happening was there was a single teacher, a man, and, and he's called, he's talked about here in the scripture in just a second, rose up and was beginning to teach Jesus and participating in festivals. Jesus and not eating particular foods or drinking particular drinks. Jesus and participating in these rituals. Jesus and all these things. But Paul is saying, don't let them tell you what to do. Let Jesus tell you what to do. Your identity is not found in who you are or what you do. And for us, in our culture, it's so, we sense a pressure from inside the church and from outside the church about how to behave. Stop it. Christ is the only, let no one pass judgment on you with regard to any of these things. Because any of these things, anything that you do or don't do, verse 17 calls a shadow of the things to come. The substance belongs to Christ. Everything that you say or everything that you do is a shadow. And what's a shadow? Think about what a shadow is. Somebody, there's a shadow right there on the floor. Can you see it? Somebody grab it. It's, it's a vapor. It, it holds no physical form. The substance belongs to Jesus. Throw up that picture that's out on there. Joe? You might know what that is. That was baked this morning in my kitchen by my wife. Would anybody like a bite? That's a cookie. It's a shadow. It, it, it holds no physical form. We can't taste it. it. It does your taste buds no good. And this is, the, this is the word picture of what Paul is trying to teach to us right here, right now. There may or may not be some that we'll, you can have later, by the way. So you have that to look forward to. You can experience the substance later. Verse 18, this is where most of the understanding about what the false teaching was in Colossae comes from, this verse. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism. I had to look that word up this week, so don't feel bad if you don't know what it it means. It basically means like this extreme humility. But it's more than just humility. It is like a physical beating up of yourself. It is destruction of your physical body 
for a religious practice, for a religious purpose. I'm going to tear myself up to prove that I love Jesus. This is asceticism. And not just physical, it's also spiritual. This is sort of like attack on self, physically and spiritually and emotionally, for a religious purpose, a religious practice. This is this word, aestheticism. So let no one disqualify you, insisting on tearing yourself up. So this is probably, this is what was being taught in Colossae by this one particular guy. You've got to have Jesus and you've got to tear yourself up. And probably a lot of that had to do with circumcision. You've got to be physically circumcised. You've got to, to tear, literally tear your flesh. Worship of angels. He was commanding people to worship angels as a prerequisite for salvation, as a prerequisite to relationship with God. Going on in detail about visions. In other words, he would stand up in front of people, this religious leader, this reading from this stuff, probably a cult leader in Colossae, would stand up probably in the church and say, I was asleep last night and God came to me and showed me this in a vision. You guys have to tear yourselves apart. I want everybody to to cut a cross in their arm. This is what he was this is who this guy was. Puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. This is a false teaching. And we can we can see that and see that that's silly, but there's a lot of a lot of times where that seeps into who we are. Teaching from scripture, teaching from men who proclaim to be of God. That there's more than Jesus that you need to have relationship with him. Verse 19. And not holding fast to the head. Here it is. Not holding fast to the head. From whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. The only way to defeat our sin, the only way to, to defeat who the, the things that press in on us is Christ. Pressing into him. You guys, in, I think it's in, in your bulletins. Let me grab this one. Every, every week we have something to engage God. All right? This week it says this. Read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Before you read, ask God to connect your mind with the teaching of Jesus. As you read, understand that Jesus is the substance to your faith. After you read, ask God to value what Jesus values. This is how we engage God. If Jesus really is the antidote to who we are, if he really is our identity, if he really is everything that we need, it's not Jesus and, it's Jesus alone. Shouldn't we be pressing in? Shouldn't we, we should be reading the Gospels all the time who Jesus is and what he did, and there's nothing better for us than the Sermon on the Mount. It's Christ's first teaching. It's massively important to us to begin to understand who Jesus is and what he values and who Jesus was when he walked this earth and what he valued when he walked this earth. And then asking God to plant those things in us. And as we focus on Jesus, everything fades away. One of my favorite verses, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 
anything that you want or need or whatever, anything that causes you to think like the debt situation that you can't seem to get rid of, any of your sin that you can't seem to to lay aside, seek first the kingdom and God's going to take care of it. I can remember I spent three, four years with the same three other guys, four of us, meeting every Wednesday night in a, in a, a Sunday school room at First Baptist Church of Ferguson, and we prayed together, and we had accountability together. And every single one of us, if you could go back and see my journals from the mid-90s, it's all pray for Adam this, pray for Dave this, pray for Bruce this, pray for Rick this, and they're all the same things. And we were so consumed with our sin. Christ is the answer. Christ is the head. Everything works out from there, flows from there. All the ligaments and and everything that the body holds together is held together by Christ alone. It's so important for us to press into who he is and have him to press into who we are. There's nothing more important. Anything that's stressing you, anything that's bringing you pressure, bring it to Christ. Focus in on him. Understand who you are in Christ. Verse 19 again. And not holding fast to the head. From whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments. Grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why... As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. Do we, do we always act as if there's, we know the stuff that consumes us is going to be dust one day? Verse 23, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom, promoting self-made religion and aestheticism, there's our word again, and severity to the body. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They are of no value of stopping the indulgence of the flesh. There's one guy in particular that I've prayed more for him than I've prayed for anyone apart from my family in the last 20 years of my life. And he wrestles with this. His sin, particular sin. Wrestling with your sin is of no value to its defeat. Christ is the only answer. Look, by virtue of your presence, by virtue of the fact that you're taking breath, means this. You struggle with a sin. Your only chance to defeat that sin It's Jesus. There is no amount of religious activity that you can do that will defeat that sin. Yet, you can believe that. You can write that in your journal. You can can say, I'm going to do this. Very soon, probably in less than a week, probably before we get together again on a Sunday morning, you'll try. Jesus is the only answer. And what happens to us 
is that that sin begins to win and we begin to realize that we can't defeat that sin. And so we wind up shoulder slumped in shame, just like those demons outside of the tomb. Shamed, put to open shame because of what we think. Because of our inability to act. Because we don't understand what God has given to us. This is what Jesus wants you to know. You are welcome here. Understand that in Christ, because of who he is and what he has done, you are welcome here. There is nothing that's true that's keeping you from being here. I put that on the board for a reason. There's nothing that's true that's keeping you from being in the presence of God. Say that to yourself over and over again. There's nothing that's true that's keeping you from being in the presence of God. There's a situation uh, back when I was still a, a youth pastor and Jeff was in college. His college job for the summertime was to deliver pizzas for Papa John's. And uh, this is what would happen. He was a huge Phoenix Suns basketball fan. Um, huge. You can talk to him about it later. As much as he loves the heat now, he loved the Suns then. All right? And they were playing in these, this really important playoff series. And it was out west, so the game started like at 9.30 at night, but he didn't get off work till like midnight. All right? So he calls me one day and says, can you DVR game six for me? Sure, no problem. And he had a key because he would come over and take care of the dog. So I said, you know, whenever you get off work, just come on in and watch the game. Chances are we'll be in bed, but the kids will be asleep. Don't worry about it. You're not going to wake him up. So about 11 o'clock or so, we went to bed, and about midnight or so, Jeff came in. I didn't hear him. Jen probably did. I don't know. He came in, comes in, watches the game. But throughout the whole game, he's like, really, really quiet. And if you know Jeff, when he's watching a game, especially back when he was in college, it was like, he wanted to, like, exclaim, right? Get really excited. They're playing the big-time rival San Antonio Spurs. It's a big deal, like, really important basketball game, and they won. And I'm sure Jeff wanted to just, like, scream. He didn't, all right? Next day happens. Game seven is about to happen the next day. Jeff calls me at some point during that day and says, I got to work again. Can he DVR game seven? It's game seven, Rick. It's game seven. Make sure you don't mess it up. DVR it. Yeah. And, and so I said, sure, no problem. Don't worry about it. How was last night? Oh, it was great. I was worried that I was going to be too loud. That I was being too loud. Was I being too loud? I, Jeff, I didn't even know you were there. Don't worry about it. So at some point, he's just kind of thinking about, man, I'm like imposing. I can't, I can't do this. And you know what he, did, what he didn't do? He didn't come over and watch game seven. Do you know why he didn't come over and watch game seven? Because he was scared that he was going to wake us up or, or have an issue or there was going to be a problem or like I didn't want to tell him no. I really wanted to tell him no, but I didn't want to tell him no. There's nothing that's true that Jeff believed that was keeping him from being in my living room watching that basketball game. And we treat God that way all the time. There's nothing, nothing Nothing that's true that's keeping you from being in the presence of God. 
You don't understand. I don't understand the invitation. The invitation is this. Come. The invitation isn't come as long as. The invitation isn't come if you follow these religious practices. The invitation isn't come in anything. Jeff had a key to my house. Welcome to use it at any time. He still does have a key to my house. Welcome to use it at any time. Because of Christ, you have a key. You're welcome. Please understand that. Jesus. We prayed for the kids back there. And it's a joke that whenever, whenever you're in Sunday school and the teacher asks a question, what's the answer? Jesus. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a joke, but it's true. Whatever question is happening in your life, whatever question is pressed to the front of your mind. What's the answer? Yes, it's not anything in your ability. Understand your invitation. You're welcome here. Let's pray and sing some songs really loud. Because if you don't sing them really loud, you're going to hear my off key back there. Turn up the soundboard. God, I thank you so much for Jesus. God, I thank you for this place where we get to gather with these people and sing these songs about you and your great son. God, guide us in these moments, but more importantly, God, guide us In the moments that are to come, Father, help us to understand that everything in this world will perish, will become dust, God. And the only thing that's of any value is you. And you have somehow, in your grand and glorious plan, seen fit to save us. To send your son Jesus so that we might have relationship with you, God. Help us to understand the invitation. Help us to understand that when difficulty and hardship, both physical and spiritual, press into us, the answer is Jesus. God, we're so grateful. Guide us now as we respond to you. We give our lives to you, Father. We give these moments to you, Father. In Christ's perfect name.